Welcome to our love edition. This month, we're going to do something a little bit different and look at how love has impacted the lives of some of the extraordinary men we've met over the last year. Economics in the Spirit presents How to be a success. Ordinary men living extraordinary lives. The podcast that explores the messy nuts and bolts behind people's success. Now here's your host, S.B. Cole, author of The Good Man, exploring economics and the spirit. We're going to start with Carl Beach, founder of Christian Vision for Men and the Gathering Festival and how he met the love of his life. I went to church to fancy this girl. Well, my mate asked me to go because he said, if you don't come to church when you're a chicken, because I found out he was a Christian. I used to take the mick. Uh, I used to do impressions of Jesus rising again. You know, he'd walk in the classroom, I'd jump out of a cupboard. and <laughs> you know, I was dead, now I'm alive, you know. <laughs> anyway, one day he, uh, he prodded me on the chest and he said, if you don't come to church with me on Sunday, you're a chicken. <laughs> and to cut a long story short, I walked into the back of what was called Emerson Park Evangelical Chapel and I saw this good-looking girl sitting on the back row and I thought, well, hello, that's, that's, uh, that's why my mate's a Christian. There's <laughs> all these good-looking girls in church. Anyway, I asked her out that night, and she said she'd only go out with Christians. Uh, and I went, well, I am one, because I thought everyone was a Christian. You know, if you're British, you're a Christian, right? That's what I thought, uh, see if you're Catholic. And she said, no, I, I go out with, but I'd only go out with you if you'd actually met Jesus. And I went, I've definitely met him, because... I've been a king in a nativity play, you know, I mean, I've been quite close to the baby Jesus kind of vibe. So, I, and I was in a cross, uh, I did a country dancing thing in a Methodist church when I was eight, you know, so I thought I kind of done the church thing. And that's how a lot of people think. Anyway, um, I listened to the gospels, cut a very long story short, preached week after week in that place. And went back because of the girl. One night there's a guy called Robert Scott speaking, who was a Methodist minister who had been in the powers and elite British army, regiment and I'd, I'd signed up to join the british army and he preached the message of christ his life death and resurrection and then um halfway through his talk he said i believe there's someone here who needs to respond to this message and give their life to christ and then he said it's not robert speaking it's god speaking and i remember laughing thinking well you look like robert to me not god uh and then he said i'm saying it again it's 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 God speaking, not Robert. And if you don't stand up now and give your life to me now, you won't go and do all the things I've called you to do, which is to tell people about my son, Jesus Christ. So stand up. I realised I was standing up. And then I was weeping. And I, I cried like a man. I mean, it's noisy. Um, and there's a lot of other things that happened that night. But, but I remember standing on the street, looking at a tree the other side of the road, thinking, my gosh, the leaves are green. And crying again. My mate saying to me, why are you crying now? <laughs> I was, and I'd said to him, I, I feel like I've just stepped out of a black and white picture into a colour picture, you know. And then I drove home that night looking at people, I was in Hornchurch and Montford, looking at fat people, thin people, black people, white people, thinking, my gosh, these, these are God's kids and they don't know. We're all God's children and no one knows. And I decided I'd, I'd commit my life then to telling people about Christ. And actually, I have. This This actually stays by my desk all the time. This is the first ever Bible I got given other than the Gideon's one I smoked. Um, this is it. It's actually fallen apart. 
and I, I wrote in there about Robert telling me about Christ, but also the girl that I fancied became my wife. So, and I, she wrote in the back, uh, I love you, Carl, and I always will. Um, I'll keep that because if she ever loses it with me, I'll just say, Look, you did say you'd always love me, you wrote in my first Bible. <laughs> Next, we have Paralympian John Boysmith telling us about meeting his wife and the strength that she gives him. Maybe we've already covered it, but can you tell me three greatest moments in your life? Three greatest moments in my life. I'll put it in this order. Meeting my wife. How did you meet quickly? Um, She actually used to... Her mum used to work at the track where I used to train. So her mum was welfare officer and she came down for something to do one afternoon. Okay, and just started. Yep. So number one being, well, yeah, meeting my wife. Uh, number two would be that moment of relief when I realised my, where my purpose in life was through athletics and meeting my wife. But ultimately, before number one even comes in, my kid's being born. Can we go back to number two, I think it is, finding your purpose. Can you elaborate on that a bit? My, I didn't know where my life was going. Although I was very, very good, I was classed as an elite wheelchair racer. I still didn't have, in my opinion, didn't have any structure. The, the, the moment I realised my worth was the point when I was I was content with everything in my life. Like, firstly, I strongly believe that everything bad that happened to me, I wouldn't have met, I wouldn't have met my wife. Because if I didn't, if, I, if this wouldn't have happened to me as in paralysis, I wouldn't have been a wheelchair racer training in Surrey, wouldn't have met her. She brought me back from, I had nothing. I literally had nothing left. And... I give all credit, not to myself, but to her. How did she bring you back? She was the one who made me believe in myself again. When I was, when I was down in the dumps, when I was in, I was, I had nothing. I had no clear vision when I was in hospital. She was there and made me realise that I can come back. I can bounce back. So, and she was the one who drove me, pushed me forward to get me back to that elite level so quick because I was crushed. So at what point did you actually meet her in your journey? To meet me was, oh blimey, it was early 2015 when we actually first met. Then when you started getting together? That was early 2017. And then what was going on in your life at the time? Because it sounds like she's quite a huge support in your life. She is my biggest support. She is my, she built the foundations again. Like when, when I was in hospital, don't get me wrong, I wrote down my goals, uh, my dreams and everything, but I couldn't do it alone. It was a very, very big challenge for me. It's something I couldn't do alone. And 2017 onward, she, she is the one who made me realize I can do it. So it wasn't, my my mental strength has always been good. I've been very disciplined. It's always been up there. But this time, it was like, you know what? Every time something good happens, 
it's dragged right away again. So was it kind of a cumulative effect that you push yourself and then something happens and you push yourself to get out yes. and something happens and you push yourself to get out somehow push yourself and at this point it was like it all keeps on happening and you kind exactly. of didn't have the strength. Exactly. Like natural instinct for me is to grab the positive, hence why I wrote down numbers, goals, targets on this piece of paper naturally I grab everything what is positive because my glass is always half full it's never half, em- half empty but this time I was like I need someone to pour the jug does that make sense yeah. my glass is there 50% is within me but who's going to give me this 50% and it turned out to be my wife does that make sense yeah and from there like you say it was the 2017 New York Marathon I gave all credit to her my Commonwealth Games medal I'll be honest, I was fit and able and ready mentally for the Commonwealth race. Went to Australia, to the Gold Coast. The night before, I couldn't sleep. Texas said, I can't do this. I said, I don't know what I'm doing here. I cannot complete this race. What did she say? She said, you say this every time the night before a race. (laughs) She said, are you not going to learn yet? That's what she said. And she's the one who said, look, we've got this. You've got it. You're we've done it together, we've climbed the ladder together step by step, but now's your time. I'm going to take the back seat now. Now it's your turn to show the world what you're capable of. And you did it excellently, a silver medal in the Commonwealth Games Marathon. Yes, I did my best. So it turned out I got silver. That is excellent. I have no doubt you'll be getting gold very, very soon. You and me both, don't worry. Next, we have former police officer and evangelist Paul Gask talking about how love saved him when he was on the verge of taking his own life. I, I made a decision to end my life um, on New Year's Eve going into 1996. Oh, gosh. And uh, I decided to jump from a railway bridge on Swain Street in Leicester onto some railway lines. I know exactly and, where that is. I yeah. ride to work past that every single day. And I climbed onto the wall on New Year's Eve. And when I think about it now, there was it was a, a time of great joy for the majority of people, New Year's yeah. Eve, lots of people partying, and I just felt utterly, thoroughly miserable. Yeah. So I just thought, I'm better off out of this. So I climbed onto the wall, and I was one step from going over when I was conscious of an inner voice which I I did write this off as conscience at the time Mm -hmm. I was aware of an inner voice saying look um, don't do this now just before this happening I lost a a close colleague at work um, who took his own life and I remember how that affected me um, and I reacted really angrily to that couldn't cope with that But, but this inner voice in my head said just remember how angry you were when, um, I'm going to call him John, that's not his name. Yeah. Um, just remember how angry you were when John took his life. Yeah. So don't do this. And that sort of kicked me back into gear and I got off the wall and realised that I probably needed a bit of help. And who did you get the help from? Again, there's a story to that. Uh, and again, I've got to backtrack very slightly. When I left my, my wife and family... My wife, lovely wife Sue, had become a Christian mm-hmm. and uh, she could see that all was not well with her husband. And uh, 
I'd left on a couple of occasions before, but mm. always returned. And the vicar at our local church had offered to come and speak to me. Mm. And, uh, and Sue knew that the time wasn't right. Uh, because believe me, there was a, a big chance. Uh, and again, I'm not proud of this. There was a, there was a chance at that time had a member of the clergy turned up at my house, mm. he would likely have been assaulted, <laughs> which is the truth. And your wife had the intuition to understand that and yeah. delay his visit. Yeah. Okay. But when I, on the day I left Sue, um, she was going to a pantomime, funnily enough, with mm. the girls, and she still went, uh, despite me saying, when you come home, I won't be here. So off she went, and um, on the way to the pantomime, she popped into the vicarage and said to the vicar, uh, now's the time. And there I am loading my worldly possessions, which consisted of a couple of bin liners, uh, into my car and this blinking vicar turned up. <laughs> now, I, I couldn't get rid of him. Uh -huh. um, I, I used my full repertoire of Anglo-Saxon. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't get rid of him. But what he said was, um, he said will you come and speak to me? And my answer to that was, I will come and speak to you mm. when I've sorted myself out. I, I subsequently left my wife. I was away for three or four months. Mm. Um, so I left in the sort of late summer. I left her. And then uh, after my, I'll call it an unsuccessful suicide attempt, mm -hmm. I had two or three days mm. wandering around in a daze. Yeah before I found myself at the at the vicarage door. After my meeting with the vicar, uh, I went with him to my marital home. Yeah. Um, and by the grace of God, my wife allowed me back into a life. Um, I told her that I'd seriously contemplated taking my own life, so I was dispatched immediately to see the GP. Mm -hmm. um, our GP was a member of our church. You see where this is going. Wow. So um, from there, I was sent immediately to a hospital for an urgent mental health assessment, and I was diagnosed as suffering from severe depression. Okay. So I was pres pres uh, prescribed some medication, mm -hmm. and uh, I was dispatched back home. I was put on the sick from work, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, obviously people thought, oh, he's gone mad. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the the perception. There's still that the, that was the stigma attached to yeah. mental health illness. Uh, well, Gasky's gone mad, and uh, and I was and I was at home and trying to rebuild my life mm -hmm. um, after making several revelations to Sue, which I knew I had to do. When you say revelations, are they? the kind of revelations that in other settings might be a situation which would have ended the marriage? Uh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, probably my best bit of theology is, is this phrase, which I stole off a good friend of mine, mm -hmm. and he said, a confession mm -hmm. is like a good puke. <laughs> it makes heck of a mess, but it's better out. And that's as probably as far as my theology goes. <laughs> but, but I agree with that. But, but I had to, I had to um, make a full and frank admission to my wife why we were £15,000 in debt. Okay. 
I had to tell her about some of the stuff I'd started to dabble in mm-hmm. and some of the extramarital relationships that yeah. I found myself in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew I had to do that in order to recover. Yeah. And, and But again, by the grace of God, she allowed me back into her life. Your wife sounds like an amazing woman. She she is, uh, and and I make I make no no bones about this. In human terms, mm-hmm. Sue is the hero in my story. Wow, without a shadow of a doubt. Yeah, over the over the ensuing twenty two twenty three years, my marriage was restored. Mm-hmm. I've um, won back the respect of my girls. Um, I would have been just a distant memory. Mm-hmm. Um, in their minds, I've got five grandchildren now that wow. I would have never met. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd have never met them. So when I say that I owe Jesus everything, mm-hmm. I mean it. Mm-hmm. Finally, we have James Aladiran, founder of Prayer Storm. And this one's a bit about the love of a good woman and a bit about the love of God on a special birthday. When was there a moment when you thought this life thing is really working out? So I guess I, I, I don't really remember thinking those exact words, but I have thought words like, wow, Lord, I feel so blessed and I feel like you've just blown me away by doing this or that. Mm-hmm. And one thing, one thing that comes to mind is... Um, I think, I don't know if it was in 2012 or 13, mm-hmm. somewhere around that time. Um, one of the people I look up to and I really respect and I really admire. And in fact, he, he's been a mentor, a spiritual father from afar. I got to spend some time with him and how it happened was just mind blowing for me. Really, mm-hmm. well, well, what happened was I was going to turn 30 mm-hmm. and uh, this was uh, uh, maybe actually this was 2013, but I was going to turn 30 in 2014. Mm. And my wife said to me, what do you want for your 30th birthday? And I said to her, you know what? I don't really want presents or anything. Just, just if you can give me a phone call conversation with Lou Engel. Lou Engel mm. is this guy I talked about that, you know, has been leading prayer meetings. Listen, his first prayer gathering he had, uh, a mass gathering in America in the year 2000. He had 400,000 people gather to fast and pray for 12 hours. Okay, wow. so, I mean, this is kind of a big deal. So I went to one of his prayer gatherings, and uh, I said that already, in uh, 7-7-07, 7th of July 2007, and my life was really impacted. So, again, it was a 12-hour prayer gathering. So I'd been really inspired by this guy's life and ministry, been following him from afar. Uh, so my wife said to me, what do you want for your 30th birthday? And I said, you know what, just get me a phone call conversation with Luengo. I think that'll be enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she was like, okay. Well, one day we were um, hosting a prayer gathering and we had a guest, a friend of ours, a guy called Rick Pino. He's a worship leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, he's from America. Anyway, so we were hosting him and we're in the car and he, uh, he was inviting us to one of his gatherings in mm-hmm. Texas. And uh, and we were like, oh, I'm not sure if we can make it because we're meant to be at somewhere. And anyway, there was something else going on. And then he said, oh, Luengel is going to be there. And at that, my wife said, oh, James have always wanted to meet Luengel. So he said, well, if you come to that gathering, I'll make sure you meet Luengel. Okay, wow. so it was like, okay, great. So um, 
we flew to America, uh, mm-hmm. but we went to the ramp for uh, just to meet some friends and to, you know, just greet people and all that. And then we're going to fly over to Texas for this gathering that Rick Payne would put on. Mm-hmm. While we're at, at the ramp in Hamilton, mm-hmm. Alabama, my wife had a vision. Well, maybe she had a prophetic experience where mm-hmm. uh, she had a thought. She's like, I wonder what would happen if Luengo went on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed I wonder what he would think. Well, a few moments later, uh, some time later, uh, we got a tweet from Luengo and directly to Prayer Storm. Mm-hmm. And he says, James, raise up a house of prayer and a few, a few words. And then a few moments later, we got another tweet. He says, uh, 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 James, just to encourage you, the call used to be called Prayer Storm. I was like, what? <laughs> so... Uh, I was just blown away by the fact that we heard from him mm-hmm. and the fact that he actually just said to us that his ministry, which is known as The Call, used to be called Prayer Storm. And our ministry is called Prayer Storm. I had mm-hmm. no idea about that. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, you know what? Uh, 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 Rick Pino probably told him we were coming and that's why he'd get in touch. Anyway, so we go to this conference and I eventually got to meet Luengo. Actually, before I met Luengo, I found that Rick Pino hadn't told Luengo anything about meeting. In fact, mm-hmm. Rick Pino had forgotten about his promise to introduce mm. us. To- <laughs> so it was kind of like one of those times where I was like, oh, no. <laughs> However, has God to have it, Luengo had already been on our Facebook feed, Twitter feed, and he'd already known about us. So... When Rick eventually remembered, and he was like, hey, Lou, this is uh, James and Rebecca. They lead a ministry called Preston. Lou's response was, oh, so you're that James that leads Preston. He was just, so it was almost like God orchestrated the meeting mm-hmm. for us before it happened. So what, what that meant was by the time I met him, he had, he had already heard about Preston. He had already heard about all we were doing. And so it was just easy to connect with him. And he's a spiritual father to me right now. And there's just been such a great sense of uh, connection with him and his ministry. And in that moment when we connected, and obviously we connected ever since because he had me involved in some of the things he's been doing around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I've just been thinking, wow, God, I cannot believe that this just happened just like that. I was only asking for a phone call conversation. And here I am, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, not just having a phone call conversation, but even meeting with him, going to his home, spending time with him, his family. It's just wow. crazy, amazing, you know. So God, God just really, really blew me away there. That was our final guest, James Aladaran. I hope you've enjoyed this month's podcast and seen the powerful impact choosing the right person to love can have on your life. I hope you are all blessed with love. Stay safe and take care. Thanks for listening. New episodes are available on the first Tuesday of every month. If you enjoyed the show, don't forget to click subscribe on iTunes or your podcast provider so you never miss an episode. Finally, The Good Man, exploring economics and the spirit, is available on audible.com now. And if it's your first book, it's free. Thanks for listening and stay blessed. Stay blessed.